welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. All right, well, uh, I don't have as much time as usual because we, sp- we had a lot of really cool things going on today, but I, I want to jump into... Um, uh, perhaps the trickiest passage in all of First John. We've been walking verse by verse through First John um, for over a year now. And so if you have a Bible, turn to First John chapter 5. Um, if not, it will be up on the screen. First John chapter 5, we're going to be looking at, looking at verse 16 and 17. Verses 16 and 17. And this is the trickiest passage in all of First John. And I'm actually not going to spend a lot of time on it, uh, on the tricky part of it. I just want to get to the guts of it and what uh, the Holy Spirit is saying in his word. Um, but First John five sixteen through 17, it says, If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray for that. All unrighteousness is sin and there is sin not leading to death. Um... Wow, got some wind in there. Uh, yeah, a very, very odd passage, a very um, tricky passage. If you Google this passage or go on YouTube, you're going to hear a lot about what is the sin that leads to death, what is the sin that does not lead to death, what exactly are, is, is, is he talking about. And I think, unfortunately, what happens is people get caught up on that aspect and they miss the main focus of the text, which is this part right here where he says he will ask. If anyone sees his brother, that's another Christian, sinning, a sin that doesn't lead to death, he will ask, and then he, capital H, God, will give life to the person who is sinning. This comes on the heels, verse 16, comes right after verse 15. Verse 15 is where John talked about the the fact that this is the confidence we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and we know that if he hears us, we have what we have asked of him and then he goes right to this point right here that if anyone sees his brother or sister a member of the family of God caught in sin stuck in sin he should ask so so the so, so the point is not about uh, a list because there is no list of 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 sins that lead to death and sins that don't lead to death right now the Roman Catholic Church in their catechism they do they have venial sins and mortal sins this is where they get that venial meaning not that significant mortal meaning really bad. But there is no, like, this is not what John is saying. There's about four different ideas out there, and I don't want to go through all of them, uh, because honestly, I'm not sold on any of them. Um, What I am sold on is the fact that what John is really talking about here is prayer. That the, the idea that we can ask anything according to his will is wonderful, but the point of that is not so that we can get bigger houses and nicer cars. The point of that is so that when we see our brother stuck in sin, we will ask for that person and God will give life to that person, right? That prayer changes things. That failure, and this, and this is the point, this is the title of my message today. So over the next few minutes, I want you to understand that failure does not have to be final. 
because prayer is powerful. Failure does not have to be final because our prayers are powerful. We can pray for people who are stuck in a cycle, who are stuck in failure, because this is what I have noticed as I studied the passage over and over and over and looked at the original language and tried to figure out all the different commentaries. What I did notice is that there is a sin that results in death and there is a sin that does not result in death. And this is not a classification of sins like particular acts, but rather the primary difference that I saw between the sins that the people sinning that resulted in their eternal death and the people sinning that did not result in eternal death, the primary difference I saw between the two was that on the one hand, somebody prayed for them. John said, John said, if you see a brother or a sister caught in a sin who's sinning, and, and a sin that doesn't lead to death, pray for them, ask for them, and then God will give them life. Why would they need life if they weren't headed toward death, right? Romans tells us that the wages of sin is death. So all sin ultimately leads to death. But in, in, in one case, nobody is praying for a brother or a sister, and that leads to death. In the other case, somebody prays and God gives life to that one. And I don't know about you, but I look out over this room and I can, I can see some husbands who God has only given life because their, their wife was praying. You know what I'm saying? I see some drug addicts. God has only given life because their mother was praying. We have some people that were stuck in sexual sin that God has given life because somebody was praying for them. They were, they were caught in a sin, and I think all sin ultimately leads to death, but, but it didn't lead to death because somebody stepped in and asked God to intervene on their behalf. God answered, and I love how simple John is, right? He says, he shall ask and he shall give. He shall ask and God shall give. Now, as a pastor, I'm like, well, he shall ask, and then they shall come to newcomers, and then they shall attend a small group, and then they shall attend the freedom group with Poppy, and then they shall study Bob Hamp, and then they shall learn the anatomy of a stronghold, and then God will give them life. No, no, no. It's, could it be, now all that stuff's good, I mean, all that's wonderful, but could it be that in this room right here, there's somebody on your mind, on your heart, that you could God would give, that you could ask and God would give life, that God would give revelation and God would give freedom and God would give a breaking of the bondage that's holding them back, that God would give a breaking of the blinders that the enemy has put on their eyes. What if the purpose of prayer isn't so that our lives can be easier, but rather so that we can save our brothers and sisters, so that those around us can know God? That they can, God can give them life. God can, that, that, that word, give them life, means to deliver them. And so if you're here today and, and, and you're, you're more like the one who is sinning, <laughs> a sin, and you're like, man, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not mad for anybody because I'm just sort of stuck. Hey, you're in the right place. There's some people here that will pray for you. There's some people here that will lift you up, that will pray for you when you can't pray for yourself. And so one, one story that I want to look at and highlight that I think helps explain this, this principle that I'm talking about is found in 1 Samuel. Last week, last Sunday, we walked through 1 Samuel chapter 13, which is ultimately a pretty sad story. Because we talked about basically how not to pray. 
uh, we talked about the key to answered prayer, and then we looked at Saul, who initially did things pretty well. He became the king over God's people. He was appointed by God. He started out with some great leadership, but then he took his eyes off of God, and he put his faith in his reputation. He put his faith in a, in a religious ritual, right? And, and so he, 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 I'm not going to repeat last week's sermon because I don't have time. So you need to go listen to it. So we're coming on the heels of that. That's a sad story because it ends with Samuel saying, look, God's chosen somebody else. You're done. He's, a, he's two years into his, his kingship and God, his king, he's done. He cuts him off. It's a sad story because not only is the king done, but also they're still in the pickle. They still have the Philistine army, which is 30,000 chariots we talked about, 6,000 horsemen, and more soldiers than there are set on the seashore, right? We, they, they still have the Philistine army gathering and starting to surround them. Meanwhile, Saul's got 600 guys because he lost 2,400 of them because they got so scared they ran off. And we're still in this problem. Which brings us to chapter 14. And so this is what I want to look at. I want to look at uh, 1 Samuel chapter 14. And I want to show you that even in the midst of failure, that failure doesn't have to be final. That even, even in the midst of everything we talked about last Sunday and all of the failure of Saul and his incompetence and his unwillingness to trust God, Failure does not have to be final. So in, uh, if in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 1, it says, One day, and this is the NIV version, One day Jonathan, who is the son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, By the way, uh, you find out later in the passage that only two guys in all of Israel had a sword. Remember, they had no weapons because the Philistines didn't allow them to have weapons. And so only two guys had a sword. Uh, Saul as the king, the leader of the army, and his son Jonathan. And so Jonathan turns to his armor bearer, who doesn't have a lot of armor to carry, just simply a sword. And he turns to him. He says, come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. So this is interesting to me. Uh, Jonathan is sitting around and he says, come, let us go to the, uh, to the outpost. Now the outpost was in Michmash. The Philistines were gathered in Michmash. Meanwhile, the Israelites were gathered in Gibeah, only 600 of them. And, you know, uh, 11 million Philistines, that's not a real number, but they're in Michmash. And they are sending out raids, by the way. It tells you at the end of chapter 13 that they sent out three raiders, three bands of raiders, assumedly to go through the towns and villages and destroy them. Okay, so things are looking pretty bad, and Jonathan turns to his armor bearer and says, come, let us go over to the Philistine outpost that's on the other side, but he did not tell his father. Why? Because verse 2 tells us that Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migran. With him were about 600 men. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. Verse 4, Jonathan is on his way to the outpost. And it says on each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross in order to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. There's two cliffs, each facing the other direction. Jonathan has to climb down one and up the other. The one cliff was called Bozes, which means slippery. <laughs> the other is Senna, which means thorny. <laughs> I'm not a mountain. I'm not a mountain climber. That's that's Rose's uh, expertise. But I don't know. Do you want to climb down slippery slope without any ropes? And then up thorny. I'm not sure. I want to do that. 
But Jonathan sees these two. The other side, one cliff stood north toward Michmash, and the other toward south, uh, toward Geba. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let us go over to the outpost of these uncircumcised men. Perhaps, and I love this, perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing, he says, can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. So, so I just wanted to show you the picture here. You, you have failure. You have the failure of Saul. You have the lack of faith of Saul, right? And then you have two responses to that failure. The first response is Saul. He's checked out. <laughs> He's sitting under a pomegranate tree. They've only got two swords in all of Israel. Saul's using one of them to cut open pomegranates. No, I'm serious. He's checked out. I mean, literally, the country is burning around him, and Saul's eating his big zootens. He's not training the men. He's not working on his jujitsu. Like, they don't have weapons. What are they going to do? He's literally not doing anything. He is checked out. Why? Because discouragement is real. Like, like, hey, we can talk about that failure is the final, and we can be excited about that, but the truth is, the reality is, discouragement is very real. And when you're stuck, when you're the one who fled everybody, you're the one who let everybody was looking to, and you let them all down, and you messed up, and you walked away from God, it's hard to pick yourself back up and say, failure isn't final. It's difficult. And about 50% of the population, they just grabbed the sword that was supposed to deliver them, but they used it to cut their, their, their dinner. And they just go through life. And they check out. Because discouragement is real. Because discouragement. And it's debilitating. And it causes some people to dissing. We'll go to bat for you. <laughs> we got some people here that will go, that will start swinging for you. You're not going to use your sword. I'll use my sword for you. I'll pick up my sword and do something for you. And this is what Jonathan, Jonathan's not looking for fame. He's not, I mean, obviously, <laughs> this is not the path to fame. It's the path to suicide. John's not looking for notoriety. He's looking to do something for his country and for his dad. And he steps out. And so you have two responses. You have response number one, which is to disengage, to check out. And then you have Jonathan's response. And Jonathan says, hey, let's go down a really slippery slope. And then let's climb up a really thorny path. This is a great plan. And then we'll, 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 we'll sneak up on these 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and men, army, as bigger than the sand on the seashore. Like we couldn't even, somehow someone was able to count up to 30,000 and 6,000. But when they started counting the guys, they just gave up because there was just so many guys. They had to do the aerial view kind of and, and guesstimate, you know, yeah, I say 5 million or so. Like, like, and, and Jonathan says, hey, let's go for it. I got one sword. I got one guy. The two of us, we're going to go for it. This is crazy. This is crazy. It's almost like he has faith in God. But he has real faith, and I love his real faith. He says, perhaps, <laughs> perhaps God will do something. I love it. Maybe. Because the truth is, like, I, I, I know in spirit-filled kind of circles, like, people like to be really sure. Like, they know God's going to do this. Well, that's lovely. But anyone that's walked with God for very long, you know that you don't really know. Like, you know, like, you know that, that you pray and you ask, but this, just this week, I, two people connected with this church, they had um, 
older relatives who passed away due to COVID-19. And we were praying that they wouldn't. And one of them looked like they were doing better. And then they took a turn for the worse. So I'm just saying, sometimes we pray and God heals. Sometimes we pray and God doesn't. And, and, and we need to approach God with some honesty in prayer. Jonathan says, maybe. I'm into fantasy football. Um, and so uh, I, do a lot of, I do a lot of research. I do a lot of research on fantasy football. And there's this, there's this, there's this channel on YouTube called The Fantasy Doctors. And it's this doctor out of um, Florida. And he's like, he's, he's kind of fun. He's, he's like, he's really serious, which kind of cracks me up because I'm sarcastic. But he's like really, because he's a doctor. And so he, he does these videos based on the players, the football players and like their injuries. Because he watches the video, the tape from the, from the injury. And he, he listens to what the coach coaches are saying that he tries to give us like non-doctors some idea of, of, of how bad the injury is, whether or not the person's going to play this week or what, you know, he's going to just, and so it's so funny though. Cause like I watch his videos and so often he'll start off with like, is Christian McCaffrey going to play this Sunday? You know, and then he'll pause for dramatic effect and he'll be like, maybe. And I'm like, I'm no doctor, but that's exactly what I was thinking. I mean, it was zero, zero medical training whatsoever. I pretty much put my money on maybe, but I love how he says it. It's like he's thought about it long and hard and he is a hundred percent certain that he is not certain whether or not Christian McCaffrey is going to play this Sunday. And I'm like, why would you use such a certain tone around a word that literally means you are not certain? It's like, it could be, he could play. He could like, when I say maybe, I say maybe like that, you know, put a little question mark at the end, like maybe, eh. but no, he's like, maybe. And I feel like that's Jonathan right here. He's like, maybe God will do something. Like I've thought about this long and hard and there's a chance. Like you're saying there's a chance, like there's a chance, man. God might, I mean, hundred percent certain that this might happen. Like for real, dude, like, like this is his, this is his, 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 his elevator speech. Well, what is he doing? He's acknowledging that he does not have faith in the outcome of his prayer. He's acknowledging that his faith is not resting in the outcome. His faith is resting in the person of God. Because right after he says, maybe God will do something, he says, well, I'll tell you what I do know. Nothing can stop God from saving by, by few or by many. Now, what, what I do know is nothing can stop God from saving. And you know when he's talking about nothing, he's thinking about the fact that he's got one sword and one dude and there's two of him and there's 30, 70 million of, of his enemies. And he says, I do know that nothing can stop God from saving. You know, when he's saying nothing, he's thinking about his dad. He's looking back at the pomegranate tree. Nothing can stop God from saving. No amount of failure on your part, your part, or my part can stop God from saving. No amount of laziness or disengagement from my spouse can stop God from saving. I do know something about God. I'm not sure if he's going to act. I'm not sure if he's going to save my marriage, but I do know something about him that nothing can stop him from saving. This is the confidence we have in him, that if we ask anything in his name, he hears us. And we know if he hears us, we have what we ask of him. And Jonathan says, maybe he'll do what I want him to do. But even if he doesn't do what I want him to do, I do know that nothing, he says, nothing can hinder. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. 
There's some different responses here. You have the response of, of Saul to disengage, but then you have the response of Jonathan uh, to believe. Because discouragement is real, but God's deliverance is equally real. And it takes place. And it, it changes things. It shifts atmospheres. It, it changes attitudes. It, 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 it breaks bondages. It, it, it resets family uh, uh, junk, <laughs> family tree stuff. Uh, you know, you can have generations of alcoholism, but nothing will hinder God from saving. This I do know that God can save regardless of what they're going through, regardless of what is happening in their life. And that's why I say it's important that you, that you, that you get a name and you have someone in your mind and in your heart that, man, I'm going to ask and God's going to give. I'm going to ask for their salvation and God's going to give. I'm going to ask for God to pursue them, for God to open up their mind, for God to bring them into a place of life. And God going to do that. And I believe that God can do that. And this is what Jonathan is saying. Now, uh, I, I don't want to spend much more time, but I do want to just read some of, of what happens. Jonathan's um, assistant says, do all that you have in mind. Uh, his armor bearer said, go ahead. My heart, uh, I am with you heart and soul. And it's good to have people like that. Verse eight, Jonathan said, come on then. We will cross over toward them. We're going to go down the slippery slope. And then we're going to go up the thorny path. If they say to us, so he says, come, we'll cross over toward them and let them see us. <laughs> Gee, Jonathan, I was thinking maybe a, a different plan. How about the whole let's sneak up on them plan? Yeah. Nope, not Jonathan. He's like, we'll go up and let them see us. And then if they say to us, wait there, like stay, stay there, we'll stay where we are. We won't go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, then we'll climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistines, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes where they're hiding. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us. We'll teach you a lesson. Jonathan says, sweet. <laughs> Jonathan said, let's go, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet and his armor bearer was behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed 20 men in an area of about half an acre. 20 guys in a small area. 20 on two <laughs> and they beat the odds and they conquered. And then in verse 15, panic struck the whole army because of two guys, two guys freaked out the entire army. raiding parties who had gone out. They heard about what was happening. And then it says the ground shook. It was a panic or it was an earthquake sent by God. I love that. There, there, is, there is a type of prayer that can shake the ground that the enemy is occupying. There is a type of prayer. There is a type of obedient prayer, faith-filled prayer that can shake the ground that the enemy is occupying. And when the ground started shaking, and I'm not going to read the rest of it because it's kind of a long story, but when the ground started shaking, the enemy got even more confused and they began turning on each other. 
And then three things happened. Three fascinating things happened. First off, Saul saw that the, that the armies were fleeing and something crazy was going on over there in Michmash. And so Saul said, uh, we need to get a head count and see who, who left. Somebody has left us and they've, they've caused a riot. And so they found out that it was his son, Jonathan. And I, I think if it had been somebody else, Saul would have said, well, it was nice knowing him. But because it was his son, Jonathan, he said, we need to go save Jonathan. We need to go help Jonathan. And so, and so, so Saul gets his 600 men and they're like, man, we need to go because it's his son. So he's like, we need to go save my son. And so he gets his 600 men and he joins the fight. And then something else happened. So, so, first, so the first thing that happened in response to, to bold faith by Jonathan was his discouraged and disengaged dad got back in the game. I'm telling you, failure isn't final because prayer is powerful. There are discouraged and disengaged people that can get back in the game when God starts shaking the ground in response to our obedience. And they may just get in the game because they know that it's us, because they have relationship with us. Because they say, look, if he's going through that, if he can make it through that, then there's something I, I need to be there with them. And so there are discouraged and disengaged people that will get back into the fight. And this is what 600 men and Saul, he's all in now. And so he moves into the fight. But then the Bible tells us that something that the, the word hadn't told us before. And it was that certain Hebrews had betrayed Israel. And they saw what was happening. The Philistines were coming. Things were looking bad. And so they became, they went on the side of the Philistines. And they said, look, if you'll spare us, we'll fight with you. <laughs> All right. And so they had, they had betrayed, they had, they had betrayed their fellow countrymen. They were getting ready to attack their brothers. And yet when they saw Jonathan and his armor bearer fighting, they felt so convicted, I guess, and so bad that, man, they had deserted and that they had betrayed. And here's these guys fighting for their lives up against a million guys, and they're just going for it. And so the Bible says that those guys, they had weapons because the Philistines had given them weapons. They decided to turn on the Philistines. So they're dressed in Philistine clothes. This is one of the reasons why the Philistines turned on each other, because guys in Philistine armor were turning on Philistines. So first off, disengaged, discouraged people get back in the game. Secondly, people who are at war with their brothers lay down their weapons against them and instead join in the fight with them. They stop fighting with each other and start fighting for each other. Failure is not final because prayer is powerful because disengaged, discouraged people can rise back up and get back in the game. But also people who have been with their tongues cutting down their brothers. Hmm can use their tongues to uplift their brothers and fight for their brothers and sisters. And then something else crazy happened. So once, once, once the traitors became untraitors, <laughs> and, once, and once Saul got in the fight, the Philistines are freaking out, and so they start retreating. And they're retreating back to Philistia, back to their home country. And they have about 10 miles to go. And they're retreating. The, like 11 million of them, they're all retreating. And what happened was the, the people who had deserted Saul, remember the 2,400 people that were so freaked out they went and hid in the hills? Well, from the hills they saw what's happening. 
and the and, and they became bandwagon fans. They, <laughs> hey, it's 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 a wagon, and they're in the band. And so the 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 the, the retreating armies. The, the the Bible says that the guys who were hiding in the hills saw what was happening. They came out of hiding and they joined their brothers in pursuing the Philistines. So here's what happens. First off, discouraged, disengaged people get back in the game. Secondly, people that are fighting against their brothers start fighting, fighting for their brothers. But then people who have quit. People who have quit out of fear. People who have quit. People who have walked away and said, I'm done with this. I mean, there are atheists in this room right now because somebody kept praying for them, even when they, were, they didn't believe. They had quit. They had walked out on God. They had said, no, this thing isn't real. None of this is real. I'm going to go make my own life up in the hills. I'm going to go find a cave. And, and they come out of their caves, and they see the victory that God is accomplishing. And faith stirs up inside of people who didn't have faith anymore. And they say, okay, it's, it's, it's a little late. I wasn't there to start it. I don't have any weapons. I'm no more equipped than I was before. I'm no smarter than I was before, but the tide is turning and I feel like there's some hope rising up inside of me. So I'm going to join my brothers. And what happens is Jonathan and his armor bearer, they set out just to do something. Perhaps God will do something. What they did is they united the entire army of Israel and scared the heck out of the enemy. <laughs> and the Bible says that the battle was driven back on that day and that the Lord brought a great victory for them in the middle of a pandemic <laughs> in the middle of, of, of sorrow in the middle of, of anxiety in the middle of racial tension in the, yeah 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 and all of that all the people that left yeah all the people that are fighting within and in, in fighting yeah in the middle of disengaged and discouraged leaders yeah he will ask and God will give. So let's just go to him right now. Let's just ask right now. Can we just do that before we, before we go home today? I want us to ask. I want us to ask, not for ourselves, but for somebody else. Somebody who's not in this room. Somebody who's not joining online. Maybe they gave up a long time ago and they've been in a cave. <laughs> Maybe they've been fighting against their brothers and sisters. Notice Jonathan doesn't reject any of them. <laughs> Jonathan's like, hey, 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 sorry. No, it's too late. Too late. Should have been here before. No, <laughs> it's never too late. Failure is not final. Because Jonathan was praying that they would get back in the game. Jonathan was praying that they would fight with their brothers instead of against their brothers. Jonathan was praying for his dad that his dad would, would release his, his hurt and his discouragement and engage the battle. So, Father, we lift up those names to you right now. Just right where you're at. Why don't you just lift up some of those names to him right now. Call them out to you. Whisper them out to you. We ask for you to do a work in their lives. We ask for you to save them. We ask for you to stir them up. We ask for you to do something in their hearts that, that no argument can do, that no sermon can do, that no worship service can do, 
but that the Holy Spirit would reveal the beauty and the wonder of Jesus to them. That they would see the tide turning in their life. They would see the victory that God has already accomplished on their behalf. He's already defeated death, hell, and the grave, and everything, everything in between, everything that they're facing. May they see the victory that God is accomplishing for them.